0: So everybody's doing all right, good. Yeah. Um, my name is Philip Brand. I'm the pastor here. If you're visiting with us for the first time, um, and I usually come out with light show and like smoke and stuff in a in a walk-on song, right? It's what I what I normally do. You know, that's why. Just didn't work out this way this time. Speaking of that, I thought. Um, Worship was good this morning. Loved the second song. Never heard that before, but uh, that was that was pretty much pretty fun. I also thought that we need to kind of work on the transition of the guitars between the two people right here. So here's my suggestion. I was I was thinking this while it was happening. Um, Todd, next time when you're right here, and um, Scott, oh, he wanted to hear the sermon. Um, I'm just kidding. We're good friends. Anyway, he could stand right here, right? And what they could do is they could just throw them through the air. <laughs> Wouldn't that be exciting? Just throw them through the air, and if Scott could figure out how to go like this, and it just land right there, I think that'd be awesome. And then and then he just, you know, Todd, you can just fall back with yours onto your chair and just hit it. That way you don't have to worry about, you know, all the, all the rhythm and stuff. You just have to worry about catching it. So next Sunday we want to see that. <clears throat> Insurance on the church. Well, you are pretty heavy. Is this getting kind of... I don't, I don't know if the stage is going to collapse or something, but... Tied in our longtime friends. Former. So when I, was, when I was little, I was little, like small, kind of short. And um, so when I was eight years old, I'm not going to tell you how, but I, I burned my legs, um, and third-degree burns on my legs. Stayed in the hospital for 29 days. They took skin grafts from here and put it on the lower part of my legs, so, so I have scarring on my legs. When I was nine or ten, I can't really remember which, I was at Vacation Bible School at Tabernacle Baptist Church which was on Acock Street or formerly called Acock Street until they decided to rename it to some lady they wanted to. Anyway, it's too long to remember. So Acock Street, formerly Acock Street, is easier to remember. So um, I was at Vacation Bible School, and there was this kid that lived right around the corner from the church, in fact, right next to the church. And um, he was there, and he um, called me Fried Chicken Legs. Like over and over and over again, and I—it wasn't hurting my feelings, but I was getting very, very angry about it. Right. So um, after after the uh, vacation Bible school, he had to walk home behind the church. So I hid in a corner, and when he came around the corner, I went. But not in that manly voice. It was more like, you know, because I had a high, you know, high pitched voice. Well, it scared him, right? And then I said, "Oh, you got some chicken nerves, (laughs) right?" And then he was he was like that. He started coming at me, and I went. And I mean, I'm just like this, right? And he ran home. He ran past me all the way home and so I called out yeah you go chicken legs you go look at those things move and then me and my fr- three teenage friends went back up to the front of the church <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll get that event me and my three teenage yeah frizz, yeah, that was, yeah, there you go so who was really chicken right So, with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We are in a series called It Is Right in Front of You. Uh, This is the fourth installment of that. Um, So chapter 5, verse 1, says this. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. This would be equal to the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in our day. This would be... uh, He was the military leader of the world power of that day. This was a very important man. He was a who's who in the world, Damon was. He was the cream of the crop, the top of the list. He, He was the guy. He was a great, great man. This verse right here also... Um, kind of highlights his nobleness. Because God gave him the victory because of him, God's favor was on him, and God gave him the victory. In other words, to Syria of all their battles, the one that would come to mind uh, from Second Kings is when Ahab, the evil king, was overtaken. This is this is the guy that that headed up that whole army and that whole that whole thing that whole war. In fact, Josephus would say that Nah. Nahum was the guy that actually pulled the bow back and shot Ahab in the back, is what uh, Josephus would say, who is a historian, an ancient historian, <laughs> ancient historian. So he was victorious. He was valiant. He was, he was a man of power. He was a man of position. He was a winner. He, he had everything going for him. He, he was the guy. He was the guy. Probably big probably big, muscles, the whole deal. And he was very, very successful, very successful. But verse 5 has this to say about him as well. But he was a leper. He was a leper. Um, leprosy is really no big deal in our day, so, so to speak, because we have a cure for it. There, That's why you don't see anybody in America that has it. But if you go to India, there are leper colonies. And if you go to China, there are leper colonies. And if you go, I don't, other places in the world, I guess, have them. I know those two places definitely have them. Um, There is a cure for those people if they can get the medicine that they need for a while. But nonetheless, in this day they were very scared of leprosy because they didn't understand it. They didn't understand how you caught it. They didn't understand how how you um, obtained it. They, they didn't understand how to get rid of it. There was a lot of fear with this leprosy. And leprosy would cause you to be an outcast in any civilization. And so here's Naam, and he's this great, awesome dude. And... Um, Every time he looked in a mirror and saw a reflection of himself, he saw the leprosy on his face. So even though he was victorious, second in the most powerful kingdom on earth, he still had this leprosy that that he had. When he came into a room, there was tension. There was tension in the room. And he felt it in his heart. People would back up. He may have had to wear, wear something over his hands or his body so that people wouldn't be able to touch him and get the leprosy because that's what they were thinking. That's how they, they thought you got it. So, so they would spread away. And then when he would leave a room, he knew in his mind that the tension dissipated. It was gone. People breathed the sigh of relief. And they hoped that from breathing the air that he was breathing that they didn't get leprosy themselves. So he was, he was he knew this. Um, it was the most feared disease of the day. So when he would receive a medal of honor, he would have to pick it up himself and put it on. When he had a victory, there was no pats on the back. When he, when he would um, come home, there was no hugs from his children if he did that sort of thing. When he would come home, there was no affection and no touch from his wife, none. They couldn't do it because he had leprosy and they had to stay away. Here's a man that's not only suffering with the disease, but he's suffering from the emotional ramifications of that disease. And he's struggling with it. Even if someone was to be brave enough to give him a hug, or a pat on the back. He wouldn't feel it. Because it leprosy takes out the feeling that you all the feeling that you have of your skin. So even if he was touched, if he brushed a doorway or for somebody just accidentally touched him, he wouldn't be able to feel that touch. So here's a man that had everything in the world, but he had this disease and it made him an outcast even though he should have been Celebrated. it. Celebrate it. He couldn't be touched. Humans, humans love to be touched. Humans do. Now there are some people, and I know, because I just saw it, a couple of you looked at the person next to you and said, no, not you. Right? Because there's some people that like to stay away from touch. But I'm telling you, humans, at some level, all of us like to be touched. If you're at a funeral handshake pat on the back a a hug for the person that's crying people like to be touched If, if you're in a desperate situation there there's times where where touch is very appropriate there's some people in this room that doesn't like the person that hugs everybody you know that person that hugs everybody and you see them coming and then you're you kind of you know And hope you can exit the room before they get there because the hug is kind of awkward, kind of weird. But, you know, you love that person anyway, so you just, you know, whatever. But anyway, there's some people like that. However, most of the people in this room definitely enjoy hugs from their children, hugs from the grandchildren. Most people in this room, if you're married, should love hugs from your spouse from time to time, right? Right? Like if, if one of you is crying or one of you is sad, a touch in that moment, you might not like touch in a broad sense, but you definitely like touch somewhere. There's some circle where you, you appreciate it and you're like, yeah, that, that person cares. There, there's some sort of touch. So he had none of this, the human emotion of touch, the human emotion of feeling. When he put food in his mouth, he he couldn't feel the food inside of his mouth. And he might not have even been able to taste it. So this was a man that was in agony. He was in agony. Very successful, but didn't have his health. So verse 2 says this. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord that there were a prophet in, that's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. This little girl that had been captured knew of this man named Elisha. We have no clue how this little girl knew about Elisha. In chapter four, there's some pretty amazing things that Elisha did. Um, there's a Shunammite woman that she built him a place to stay as he passed through. And um, he said, well, what would you want? And she would never really tell him. So he told her that she would have a son. And lo and behold, she has a son. Well, a few years later, that son passes away and dies. And it's Elisha that went into a room and performed a miracle to raise that son. Maybe this Person had heard maybe this little girl had heard of that. She might have heard of uh, the story that's at the end of chapter four, where there is these um, twenty barley loaves and and some some corn, or at least some grain, some grain, and it's not enough to feed a hundred men. But this guy brought it, and Elisha said and made to serve as a slave in Naaman's house. And even though she was in that circumstance, she still had affection for Naaman probably because he showed it to her. So Naaman had this, and this girl said, hey, there's a prophet. So verse four says, so Naaman went and told his lord. Thus so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. If you want to know how much that, that is worth it's a little bit over a million dollars. over a million dollars. Amazing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king heard, of, heard blah, blah, blah. and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. That's an amazing um, reaction. I'm going to pause here a moment in my little rhythm to say this. Sometimes what someone writes to someone in a particular sense is read in a totally different sense, right? So here the king of Syria knows of Elisha and what the king of Syria is thinking is that, well, I'll send a letter to the king and the king obviously knows who Elisha is, must be somebody that he's friends with because the king of Syria is thinking, if I had a god that could cure leprosy, he'd be on my cabinet. He'd he'd be one of my closest people. So obviously, the king of Israel knows this guy. So I'm just going to tell him, just cure him of his leprosy. So in in the king of Syria's mind, he's like, the king of Israel is going to be yeah, um, Elisha, come here. This guy needs healing. Can you can you take care of that for us? And boom, it's done. But but when he received the letter, <laughs> the king, it's kind of comical because okay. I get a kick out of the way people read text. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and here's a text of the of this century, right, that we're talking about. He gets this letter. He's like, oh, my goodness, he's going to make battle with me. And he tears his clothes. I mean, he gets so upset and emotional about it that he tears his clothes and, and thinks that he's going to be invaded. Now, I know that you probably, more than likely, have received a text where you took it all out of. Proportion, right? Let me just give you a basic rule of texting. Never assign emotions to a text. Just don't do it. It's a, it's a text for Pete's sake. And if you're sending one to me and you're angry at me, I don't even assign an emotion to it. I, I just don't. I, I need to see your face. I need to see who you are. And if you really have a problem and you like me, I think you should call me or something. Anyway, that's aside. Nothing of, That hasn't happened, so don't think about it. But I'm just saying I've seen other people get very upset over one statement that this person meant it this way and this one meant it this way. And Is everybody tracking with me? Just just quick, if you really think that, maybe the just call them. What did you mean by that text? Let me give you an example. I'll give you a quick example because I feel like for some reason I need to hang out here. Okay, so last week um, I sent a text to Nathan Johnson, who usually sits right here with his wife. She's, she's at, a, at a graduation or something this weekend. So I sent a text to him, and I said, if you don't mind, just call and check up on Katie. So that's, that's all I did. He sent me back a text that says, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so immediately, I disobeyed my rule. My heart went through the bottom of my floor, and I'm like, I've known him for years. What? There must be more going on that I think that's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe there's, there's some type of tension between them, and he thinks that she's talked to me. And so I had this whole scenario, you know, up here. You know, there's an argument. There, there's something happening. He's out of town, and, and, and he thinks that she has told me something that I don't know. So I immediately called him on the phone and said, dude. I, and I had to leave a message because he didn't answer the phone. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, I'm spinning right here, right? And, and I'm like, oh, I said, dude, look, I, I got your message. I just want to let you know I wasn't telling you what to do. I, I, just, I just felt like maybe you should contact Katie and just check up on her to see. It I just felt like that. It was, I don't know anything. I do not know anything that's going on in your life. I don't know. I haven't read it. I don't know. I just thought that maybe you should check up on on her. It's Mother's Day. That sort of deal. That that sounded sort of kind of deal. Well, he texted me back because I can't talk right now. But I got you, man. I got you. I I was just I was just jesting. Well, that is the moment that I realized that that is a phrase from a movie. Don't tell me what to do. And he was referencing a movie. Do you know? Do you know that? Yeah, he says it all the time. So I didn't know that, but immediately my emotions went here, and it had nothing to do with that. He was just referencing a movie. Something, by the way, that I do all the time. So much so that when my kids were growing up, they thought they were my phrases until they saw the movies. Okay? All that to say, look, number one, don't get angry on a text. I know it's hard to do. I fell at it at times, but you just... Try to have a rule. And number two, when you receive a text, just don't. Everybody good? So we're back. Back to this. I I just think it's funny here that he tore his clothes. It was a modern day text. I think it was I think it's funny. Okay, number eight. Or verse eight. But when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, after shaking his head and saying, What a stupid man. He sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Very simple instructions. You have leprosy? This is how you're going to get healed. You need to go to the Jordan, dip in it seven times, and then you're going to be cured of your leprosy. Very simply. That's what you do. And he sent a messenger, not himself, he sent a messenger to the guy. And it went very well. It, it I mean it, it was it's amazing how how well this went. So verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abna and Phiphar, I think it's Phiphar, The rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. This is a man that got offended and mad because, first of all, Elisha didn't come out to him. So obviously, he doesn't know who I am, right? He sent his little messenger person. So he's already ticked off. And then he's told to dip in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is a dirty river, and it's not as beautiful, the landscape is not as beautiful as the other two rivers that that he just mentioned here. And so he's thinking, why do I need to go across the tracks to the river of the low-income side of town with all their stuff floating in it, Know if you knew that, but that's you no know, septic. Okay, we'll just move on. Why do I need to do that? A dirty, why do I need to do that? Me, name it. And he was extremely, extremely, extremely upset. He was upset because Elisha did not do as he wished. He's upset because he had expectations when he arrived to Elijah, and Elisha did not meet those expectations wave a hand, wave a hand. I guess he was Catholic. I, I don't, I'm just, I'm just having a little fun. Maybe, maybe, that, I don't know, I don't know what he was saying, but he had seen, he had seen something. You know, he had seen something happen where, where the guy waved his hand, and, and that's what he was expecting, and he was very, very, very upset so upset that he decided that he would not go to the Jordan, that he would just go home. couple of things. Some people miss out on life because they're angry and offended all the time. Some people miss out on life. They wake up every morning and they're just looking for the next, next thing for them to be offended with. And they get offended, they get upset, and they miss out on life. And they go back right through that cycle, offended, upset, go through life. If that just describes you, or maybe you, the way you are sometimes, because we're all that way at certain times in our life, right? All that way some. Maybe the thing to do is just stop, take care of your anger, take care of you being offended at the littlest thing, and, and look for something good to put your... Mind too, instead of all the bad. Um, there's always, always something good. Always. Always something good. I'll just start with basics, and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just said that, but I'm going to say it. There's always the Bible. There's always the Bible. There's always salvation. I'm saved. There's always I'm a, I've got a God in heaven that's not only my God and my ruler. He's my friend. I have him. And whatever this day has is whatever he has for me. And I'm going to trust that whatever he has put in front of me, that's what I need to do that particular day to increase my faith. And I'm going to walk through that moment with God and not be angry and not be offended. I think, we, I think sometimes we look for even... And I'm talking about all people. I think sometimes we just look for moments, just the next person to offend me or something. Come on, really? What a horrible life to live. Look for the next moment of opportunity that God has for you in a given day and go for that. The next moment to help somebody, the next moment to maybe pay for somebody's dinner that doesn't even know you in a restaurant and just do a good deed. Or the next moment to just call somebody on the phone and say, hey, how are you doing? I just... I've just been praying for you. What's God doing in your life? And you you start looking outside, this is a novel idea, outside of yourself, and look to others. I look around this room this morning and I see a, a huge group of people that are blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're here, you're breathing. We just had an amazing worship moment where we focused on worshiping God. You are blessed. Some of you are celebrating graduation. Some are about to celebrate graduation. Some of the parents are like, They made it. Life is good. It's the next branch of life. Some of you have brand new babies and brand new children. There was a father walking his son around just a few months ago because that little boy just wanted to walk. It's the cutest thing ever. There are a lot of good things happening in the world. Are there a lot of bad things? Yes. But I'm not going to get offended over them. You know what I really think? I think offense is a lack of faith. Lack of faith in the sovereignty of God Lack of faith in that he has this moment under control and you need to control your heart to make sure that it's connected with his. Is everybody tracking me with me? He's given us specific instructions just like he, is, he gave Naaman instructions to dip in a river. He's given us instructions to love, serve, spread the gospel, stay, stay faithful to your family, stay faithful to him do your best at your job and shine for him. He's given us specific instructions on how to do that and how to go through life. And any time we decide not to is the moment that we miss the opportunity that he had for us on that given day. An opportunity to grow in faith, an opportunity to love more, an opportunity to give more, an opportunity to actually make at least the little space that we live in a better place to live. Is everybody tracking? Live with goodness, the goodness of God. Just live with that. This man is about to miss his opportunities, but this is what he had. Check this out. Verse 12, uh, 13, sorry. But his servants came near, because they loved him, they cared for him, and said to him, my father It's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, wash and be clean. I think everybody needs a couple of servants around them. You know what I mean? We all need a couple of servants. They might be our friends. They might be, you know, people in our household. But everybody needs a couple of these servants around us. I know why you're laughing and I meant to say it that way. A couple of servants around us. So these servants that love us and want what is best for us. You know who you need to surround yourself with? People that aren't self-centered but are other-centered. So that not only you can be other-centered, but so that when a time like this happens, These are friends that love you enough to pull you aside and say, look, you need to calm down a little bit. He he said, dip seven times. What's the big deal? Just dip seven times in the river. And he said that you will be healed. The problem is sometimes we don't listen to those servants. We don't listen to those friends. We don't listen to the ones that really care for the best for us. We would rather just stay in our in our anger, stay in our frustration, stay in our offense because for some reason we feel powerful in all of that. We feel like we're independent. But the loneliest person in the world is the one that thinks that he can do it on his own, that she can do it on her own. The loneliest people in the world are the ones that are always offended. So here's a guy, he has servants that love him and says, just go down there. So he listened to them. In verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He was clean because he followed the instructions of God. I think sometimes we we treat the Bible like, um, does God really expect me to do that in the year 2019? Does he really expect me to believe that in the year 2019? Does he really expect me to live in a, a life of holiness in 2019 when there's just so much? And this holiness, isn't this kind of not... I mean, not even practical for me for me to do, to watch my eyes in this particular way and not look at that and not say that and not do that and do all this stuff that the Bible tells me not to do. I mean, is, is this kind of ridiculous? Isn't it kind of ridiculous to, to do that? And in this passage, I think a lot of us would actually gain some healing in our life if we would just follow the word of God. So Sometimes in our homes... Stuff we view needs to change in order for the environment to change. Is everybody tracking with me? There, there's some shows that people watch that you're really creating an environment in your house and an environment in your mind. So I'll just give you one. and you, I, I'm parked back here, so just grab the stones later. Um, the Bachelor and the Bachelorette. As funny as I think that is and as stupid as I think that is, I see people that watch that all the time that live that sort of life in their home because it affects them. Maybe the thing to do is stop watching that and you won't have as much drama. Right? Because you're learning how to act from what you're visualizing. I know, I know it's crazy. It's a crazy thought. So you go to the word of God and you leave that alone and you, and you do this. Some of us need to change the music in our house. The, the music in our house are promoting a lifestyle that is contrary to the Word of God. It' just doesn't even fit it. I'm not talking about you should always listen to Christian music. There are, there's actually good music that has good lyrics that doesn't go up against, doesn't go against the Word of God, but if it's if it's just you know? I'm just letting you come up with your own music. Not all country music is bad. Though personally I think. Anyway, not all country music is bad. But if you can play it backwards and get your wife back, your house back, your car back. You know what I mean? If if there's if there's music that that glorifies Satan rather than God and actually says it in the lyrics, maybe that's something that shouldn't be in your house. If there's rap music that's talking about drugs and sex and alcohol and doing all, maybe that's rap music that shouldn't be in your house. Are you tracking with me? Because that creates an environment. It creates an environment. As much as I hate Barney, he's never sung a song that's against the Bible. He's just a demon in a purple suit. How I feel about that. Thank God for teenagers. They don't rebate small, right? What I'm saying is, there are instructions, and how can God really expect me to follow a path of holiness to follow Jesus Christ? How can He expect me to do that? The reason He expects you to do that is because there's a better life when you follow His instructions. Here's a guy that's healed of leprosy because he followed God's instructions. You would be surprised if you followed God's instructions from his book in your life and tried to follow them wholeheartedly, how much healing would happen in your family, in your relationships, and in your life. It's crazy. It's crazy how much. So check this out. Verse 15, Then he returned to the man of God and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, But in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. If you want to know why Elisha sent out a servant to him and why Elisha didn't go with him to the river, it's because Elisha wanted to set him up to where he knew without a shadow of a doubt it was the God that created him that caused the miracle, not Elisha. I think that that's the way that we all should live our lives. From pastor to elder to deacon to church member, everything that we do here at the church is not so that we would get the glory or the thanks, but so that God would get the glory and the thanks. People need to come here and see God, not Philip. They need to come here and see God, not Nicole leading worship. They need to see God, not people passing guitars back and forth, right? they They need to see God, and that's a distinct, different, it's a distinct, different feel when you have that goal in mind. And here is a person that did that. He didn't want credit for the miracle. He didn't want credit. The other, the other thing about this is he says that there is no God in all of the earth. And then in verse 16, but he said, as the Lord lives before, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged and he refused. And then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant. See the change in Naaman's heart? And he says, Two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. He said, give me dirt. Give me dirt. In that day, and he hadn't had time to be, you know, um, discipled, right? He thought that taking dirt back with him and putting it in his country... Would show that he believed in the God of that dirt, of the land that dirt came from. And so he took two mule loads and somewhere at his house he created a worship place where he would worship Jehovah God for the rest of his life. The whole thing that set this in motion is a little bitty girl, a little bitty girl. I said, there's a a God-honoring man in Israel that can heal you. Never underestimate underestimate the the impact of a well-crafted statement. No matter how small you are, never underestimate your impact. There is something bigger going on when you decide to represent God with your lips. Something bigger going on. Something bigger. So she was the reason for that. So let's get to the end of the message because that's a whole message in, a, in of itself. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant, blah, blah, blah. Verse 18, um, in this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Raymond to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself to the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said, Elisha said, go in peace. Go in peace. Um, there are several different types of peace. Uh, there's relational peace. There's um, circumstantial peace. And Eliash is telling this guy to go in peace. There's also inner peace as well. And I would imagine, and I, if I took a survey, I'd we'd probably figure out something, and the survey would probably be skewed. But I'm pretty certain that with a crowd this of this number, there's some people in this room that do not have peace in their life. They do not have relational peace with people. They do not have um, circumstantial peace because of something that's happening to them. Um, and they're struggling with inner peace with it all. Here in this passage of Scripture, here's Naaman who did what God instructed him to do, and then the man of God tells him to go in peace. And he does. He has a new view in life. A couple of things. First of all, you will never have peace with anybody else unless you have peace with God. If you do have peace, it, it's, it's a fictitional peace. It doesn't last very long. It's very temporary. Let's put it that way, maybe fictitional. It's temporary. The only way you'll have lasting peace if, if, you, if you have peace with the God that created you. There's two ways you have peace with God. One, you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He saves your soul, and you become his child. That's step one. You can't get to the second one unless you have that. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, your heart has no peace at all. It has no peace. The second way? have peace if you don't have peace is that individual that has done that but are so far from following the instructions of God that they have no peace in their life. And these type of people try to, try to put on a show, try to put on, you know, everything's okay, but deep down inside of their soul, they know, they know the peace is not there. The second way to have peace is In your relationship with God is to say, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. I'm sorry for running from your instructions. I'm sorry for not living the way that you've wanted me to live. I repent today. From this day forward, I'm going to try to live the way that the Bible tells me to live. You cannot have peace. You can look for it anywhere else in the world. You can go down your own paths and you can look for peace here and there. And you might have temporary Moments of peace, and you might convince yourself and deceive yourself into thinking that you have peace, but you will never have real peace unless you have peace with God relationally. Then, and only then, will you have peace in your circumstances, no matter what they are. If your circumstances aren't aren't at peace, and you're not at peace with a particular circumstance, but you have peace with God, you will have peace in the middle of that storm. You will have peace in the middle of all that falling apart for you. You will have peace. Because a peace that is settled on the eternalness and solidness of God is a peace that lasts through anything this world can throw at you. And you stick with that. That solves the inner peace problem. God and God alone. So, if you're somebody that's running from God, and I don't don't know who you are. I I don't know who you are. If you're running from God this morning, and you don't have peace, listen to a servant. Repent and make a decision to follow the instructions and the word of God. And only then will you have peace. Let's pray.